Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. My name's Phil. Joining me as usual, we've got Rohan. Hello, Rohan. Hey, how's it going? And today we are joined by Rin. How's it going? Hey, guys. How are you? As usual, this episode of the Home Assistant Podcast is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nebucasa. Easily access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that supports the Home Assistant and the ESP Home projects. Configuration is done via the user interface, so no fiddling with the router settings, SSL certificates, or any YAML. All right. Uh, Rian, where are we joining us from today? I'm in Ireland, just outside Dublin. Nice. I think, I think this might be the first person we've had from Ireland. Before I, I think it is. Yeah, I haven't seen. Yeah, I'll yeah. go through the notes. I'm pretty sure it might be the first one in Ireland. So anyway, welcome to the podcast. Cheers. Hope, hope it doesn't disappoint. Yeah. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> um, so yeah, I guess... the entire country for for success or failure here. Where will we get another Irish person on the podcast? At? This is the, the one will <laughs> dictate that. Um, why don't you give us a bit of a, a background on um, your experience with home automation and what's led you here today? Sure. Yeah. So um, I suppose it originally my home assistant first came on my radar kind of the beginning of 2020. Uh, someone in work mentioned that he was using it to Frankenstein his home heating mm-hmm. um so and then I had I had two Philips Hue lights that I'd attempted previously to use a use one to wake me up in the morning basically I had the the, the sunrise effect but yeah. that didn't last so it was kind of sitting there unused um so then I got home assistant and originally stuck it it was on a VM on my laptop which was obviously terrible because when I closed my laptop uh, it closed with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I bought a a little Chrome box at the time. Um, and actually, they've gone up since, but back then it was even cheaper than the Raspberry Pi. So it was, mm. it was great. So then I was right. able to have Home Assistant run, running full time. And I just started with little things. I was in an apartment in, in London at the time. So um, the first one was, was simply um, those bulbs to to make them more usable and I got the little sun off uh, buttons so yeah. I was able to control them from a different area in the apartment and in, yeah you just kind of build up from there like I had a weird issue where my Google assistant would refuse to stream an Irish radio station um, tune in oh. would say it couldn't but which made no sense because you'd open up the app and it would work straight away um, so I had a button then where I could just press that and it would trigger the casting of the streaming of the radio station I use the most through yep. Home Assistant onto the speaker. So it kind of little, th- those are the kind of two initial um, actually kind of useful things. And then of course I started a little bit into slightly more uh, unnecessary things uh, because I was home a lot and had a lot more time on our hands, obviously at the beginning of, of into 2020. So um one was I actually lived right beside a, a kind of a tidal lock off off the Thames in London, and the 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 tide I was kind of used to love going out when the tide was really high because it would be just kind of surging in. Um, mm. So I found this website which had tides on it, and I was kind of obviously I'm a software programmer as well, so Home Assistant I I'm always fighting this little battle of wanting it to be an appliance, but also kind of wanting to to know how it works in the background. 100%, yeah. Um, so I set up, and there was no good tides integration that I could find at the time for for high tides and low tides. So okay. I found this this website that, and originally I did build it admittedly using web scraping, which I know is kind of frowned upon, but yeah. um, I did find then that they actually have an RSS feed um, for each location. So that's kind of fair game then, right? It's, it's designed. Yeah. So um, I have that code somewhere up on, on GitHub it, and it's not like a, it's not a full clean integration, but it's almost there where um, you get your, your tides for the, the day uh, into Home Assistant, basically. Um, so that was, that was that was kind of the first fun thing I started doing. Um, then after that, I I had some and uh, we're talking ancient Arduinos with temperature sensors that I had made, I would say 15 years ago. Wow. And yeah. um, at the time with, with work as well, 
um, I was doing some projects with MQTT for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I, and then to kind of understand Home Assistant MQTT, I actually wrote a script that would take the sensor data off the Arduinos and then register themselves as sensors with Home Assistant. And then you, boom, you've got your temperature and humidity and it. I was amazed by just how easy it was. It's crazy. You know, the MQTT, just to, yeah. the sh- what a sensor is, is just so simple. Yes. Um, yeah. And and Home Assistant took care of the rest of the, and obviously Home Assistant's got so much more feature rich uh, since then. So things like history and um, all of that has kind of really fleshed out a huge amount since then, basically. Um, so that was, that was kind of 2020. I, didn't do much in 2021. I moved back to Ireland. We were living in a different apartment. Um, what, I had the kind of same stuff about the lights. Obviously, no need yeah. for the tides anymore. Um, no need for the radio thing anymore. Uh, so then the big change where I started doing a lot more again was at the beginning of 2022 when we moved into a house. Mm-hmm. So it was our own house. So we could actually do things to it. And uh, it had a lot more problems as well, uh, just <laughs> the size of the house and, and the, the complexity yeah. of it, I suppose. Um, and the costs oh, of, yeah. of automating that too. <laughs> For sure, yeah. So um, I've always been conscious. I kind of don't want to, I've never wanted to go like fo- overboard and I always want to get my, uh, I want to be as efficient as possible with yeah. what I make smart in the house. Uh, it is a slow creep, you find though as well. You uh, Always almost once a month you'll get something small but um i suppose like some of the ones where i was trying to make the best use and these are the ones i really enjoy home assistant for was um like simple stuff like my when i moved in i had a washing machine which was unusually left behind from the previous people and i think it's uh 18 years old or something like that it's Ooh, it's yeah. it's an old washing machine um so pretty much and, before wi-fi was a thing you've got to Pretty much. Man, and before man, um, a delay feature was a thing, right? Mm, Which is a big oh, thing for me. So right. um, at the minute I'm on a, an electricity tariff where um, my electricity between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. is about a quarter of the price of the, during the wow. day. Yeah. Um, so sense. I was like, okay, is there any way I can do this without, you know, buying a whole new washing yep. machine just, uh, just for that one little feature, right? So yeah. Um, for that, I initially had a SwitchBot, which is the little uh, Bluetooth guy that kind of yeah. actually mm-hmm. physically presses the start button. Um, and I also then kind of out of curiosity, I did have a, a smart plug on it with power monitoring at the at the back. Nice. Um, but what I actually eventually figured out, and I've done this with my my dishwasher as well, is that washing machines and dishwashers, if if the power gets cut to them when they're in a wash, um, when it com- the power comes back on, they will have stored the cycle yeah. where they were and they just continue. They take off where they left off. So yeah. what I have beside my washing machine, a dishwasher is a, an NFC tag. So basically I load up the machine, I press the start button and I just swipe my phone and home assistant then kills the power and at 2 a.m., turns the power back on and they just continue where they left off. So cool. really, really like that because there's no need to buy a whole new washing machine dishwasher, but yeah. yet I'm still able to, to get my scheduling in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so you basically built your own delay with an NFC tag and... Uh, yeah, and, the, and the, the smart plug, right? And plug, I'm, yeah. I was even happy with that because that meant I was able to um, take the switch bot away Um mm-hmm. And originally I hadn't it in Home Assistant, but Bluetooth and Home Assistant's got so easy now yeah. that I, I do have it. And I actually have the SwitchBot um, double side taped to a dehumidifier. Okay. So similarly enough, in, it kind of changes. So in the summer, I generally do the, the washing at night. And then during the day, there's the sun to dry the clothes. You can dry them outside. Yeah. But then in winter, it's actually the drying is the thing that uses them more electricity mm. so i have the and in home assistant it's it's one of my favorite features uh whoever wrote it thanks uh, is the scheduler and scheduler card mm-hmm. um 
because it's just so easy to to set them, turn them on or off. So for those instances, actually, the it's the dehumidifier that's scheduled. The washing machine can be run during the day, and then the dehumidifier comes on overnight and uses right. the, the cheap electricity, basically. Um, so those are just super, super useful kind of things. And I've, I didn't have to buy, again, another smart anything. Mm-hmm. I, I just was yeah. able to add the smarts quite easily to the existing things. Um, and even on the washing machine, actually, we had a problem where I was finding that it wasn't completing cycles if there wasn't hot water in yeah. the cylinder, which was confusing because uh, washing machines for a long time now shouldn't be using the hot water. They should use the, the cold water only. Cold, but right. yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, I had the, I have the, uh, the smart thing, Zigbee plugs, then they do power monitoring as well. So I was actually able to see that the washing machine never used more than like 300 watts, which if washing machine is heating water, it should be using, you know, two kilowatts or something. So mm. that actually was my, my clue to think, is there something wrong with the element? Um, so actually I opened up the, the washing machine again, it's old. I don't really, if I break it, it's no problem. Yeah, break it, yeah. break it further. I should say, um, I was able to go in, and sure enough, the the element was fail um, had broken basically. So I was able to swap that out. So again, thanks to having the data from Home Assistant, I was able to diagnose that problem so much sooner. Nice, um, and able to to fix it very very easily. Really, in the end. And also because if you had an old enough washing machine that you could probably repair it, because like I think if a newer one broke, you'd be just like, oh, it's made from cheap parts anyway, mate. It's cheaper to go out and buy a new washing machine now than. Sure, yeah. So I I must say, like, uh, I'll I'll plug Bosch on that front that even for ancient parts, their website was super easy to find exactly the parts you needed and cheap and easy. Just where to start. Yeah, I've, I've heard. Our stories of more modern brands, where it's kind of like, oh well, yeah, yeah, we, we made that two years ago. That's you know, <laughs> sorry, yeah, too bad. Buy a new washing yeah. machine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, very, very happy with that. Um, I suppose on the whole, the wo- well, this, <laughs> these things get a bit tangled uh, with these different systems. Um, another thing that when we came into the house was uh, the alarm. So it had an an old style alarm with just kind of context finches on doors and windows yeah and one thing i kind of hate more than anything and i didn't want to be the person to do was i just didn't trust this alarm and i mm. kind of didn't want to start using it and then it going off when i'm not there and the neighbors hating this new guy who has this alarm same thing yeah yeah um so what i ended up doing and i suppose i kind of didn't trust myself to fully use home assistant as my alarm um because things like uh the, the one i ended up getting is a, a yale smart uh sync i think it's called mm-hmm. uh, and it has things like a battery backup for instance right um right so little bits like that i don't i i could you could have you could figure out a way to have a home, full home assistant system and battery backup and things but at the time in particular i just said look let's get a an independent thing to start off with mm-hmm. so i set that up um, and that's all wireless um, sensors, and there is an integration for that. So then I was able to know the state of the alarm in Home Assistant and turn it on or off. Um, and also, importantly, um, it exposes as a panic button, and that's also exposed in Home Assistant. Oh. Um, and the way I was able to use that then was I had, so I have these other sensors from the old alarm, and I said, okay, is there any way I can make any use of them? So uh, yeah. I think a few people have mentioned it before. There's the connected project with a K. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say, did you go down that road? Um, so I got one of those and um, super, actually easy to, to after labeling wires, all right, took a little bit of effort, but uh, got that in. And then you, you can use Alarmo in Home Assistant, obviously, to configure and control that. Um, but because I had the Yale one integrated as well, I actually have automations then so that when I trigger the Yale alarm, it automatically triggers Alarmo. They synchronize each other, basically. So if I turn one on, it turns the other one on. Right. And vice versa. And then if a Alarmo uh, sensor on the old alarm gets triggered, it presses the panic button on the Yale alarm, mm-hmm. right? So then I've, kind of, I've got my, my way back into the fairly closed ecosystem. Yeah. Um, 
and then I get alerts and that sends off the siren and I'll have two sirens now. So it's, <laughs> it gets very, Perfect. very, very noisy. Um, yeah. And and I was vindicated in the, once I had connected and I had that data as well, I could see that the front door sensor at the time uh, was not reliable. And one of the window right. circuits as well, if it gets windy, would also um, pop on and off. So, I did, oh, because it would like flex the door or flex the window it, or something it, like that, it, and and exactly. So, so, if I'd actually started using that old alarm, I yeah. I would have really been annoying. I would have been confused mm. why it wouldn't come on because sometimes it would refuse to set when things are open, and then you wouldn't know what. And then also yeah. when it, the wind would come up, and I'd be away. So, I was able to fix those things and actually having you know I actually know what the alarm is doing now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, was very important. Um, and another kind of side thing on on the connected board is, um, and it's it's actually on their website, they only label it that you need to buy the add-on board to get this, but you can actually plug in sensors into that board as well. Um, but I was able to do it on the, just to sit this, the, the out-of-the-box board, I suppose, the basic board. Um, I just needed to add a little adapter to it to get 5 volts is the only reason why normally you need the add-on board to expose that 5 volts for the sensors. Mm -hmm. Um, And just as it happens where the connected alarm terminates is right beside the hot water cylinder in the house. So, uh, and it's really small cylinder, so it's really annoying, basically, knowing how much hot water there is and will it run out and Right. Just in an instant, and there is a semi-smart heating system connected up to that, um, but it only obviously has a temperature sensor at one location on the tank. Um, right, right, right. So now with, with the connected board, I was actually able to add three more sensors. So now I, I know the the water temperature at the top, the middle, and the bottom of the water tank. So if I just want a quick shower, I can tell, I have it like at the height kind of on the tank where basically... You just have a quick shower. You don't need to worry about turning on any heating. So you know that for a fact. Yeah. Um, and then sure. the, with the deep, the deeper ones down, you have a better indication of actually how full it is if you someone wants to have a bath or you know right, something. Right, right, right. Um, and a, a slight extension, I suppose, onto that was uh, I've also replaced the immersion timer. So the electric, it's mostly gas that heats the water, but then sometimes it can be useful. And with that cheap 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. period that I mentioned before, you can actually, um, the electricity is actually cheaper than gas, which is pretty weird, mm, uh, at least here. Okay. Um, so for that, I got one of the Sonoff um, POW Elite, I think it is, um, which is just, it's just a higher amperage um, smart switch kind of okay. uh, inline one. And I, ideally, I would have liked Zigbee to keep as many things Zigbee as possible. But in that case, um, I wanted a physical button so that my wife, or even I've used it myself, if I just don't want to pull out my phone or something, and I, if yeah. Home Assistant is on fire, I do want to be able to still operate it. Um, so I'm not sure yeah. why a lot of them, I suppose it's kind of the form factor, right? These aren't ones that you plugs go into. Um, but I still think that they should always have a, a physical button. So that one's there. And that means, again, with the scheduler, I can... Or if I want a lot of hot water really quickly, I can just pull out my phone and turn on the gas and the electricity uh, from Home Assistant, which which is super useful. Um, I haven't, oh yeah, I haven't converted the Sonoff to Tasmota yet. I do want to um, because the way that it reports currently, obviously there is the Sonoff LAN. Is it local, not local? I don't know, but right. uh, it's, it doesn't really report its its power information very regularly. Yeah. Um, which is something I, I kind of do because I have, so all the plugs I have with the um, power monitoring, I have, I have those obviously in the energy dashboard, which is really good. And I also have a whole home energy monitor. Um, I didn't get any of the ones that kind of go into the, the, the fuse board and clamp CT clamps and all that. Right. I got one, um, it's a Frent, I think is, is the name of it, um, our Develco, this, it seems to be sold under. And what it actually okay. does is, um, and I think Home Assistant last year showed off a way to kind of DIY this. It 
um, sticks onto your meter outside and the mm. it's a smart meter which flashes mm-hmm. basically at a, at a known rate. Um, and I suppose one of the issues I, I had with the like the ESP versions for me is um, my meter's on the side of the house, right? To get power out there and then to kind of DIY a power pack thing. Uh, you right. know, I, um, so yeah. this was great. So it just uh, takes a few normal batteries and stuck it on. So now I have the whole house's power and then I have the power of individual devices. So I do have, um, I suppose, sometimes my terminology on, on Home Assistant goes a bit awry. Is it a script at this stage, which um, it's in my configuration YAML. It's where I take away the power usage of all the other devices from the whole house's energy usage. Right. So I can kind of at a glance see if I take away those big consumer items, what's left. What's your, yeah. Um, so that can be, that can be really useful the odd time then to, to figure out kind of what's going on or just at a glance, mm. then I have my graph and it actually makes sense to what everything adds up to basically. Right. right, um, right. Okay. So I'm guessing you could do things like, all right, my baseline is, you know, I've got the fridge always running. So how much is my fridge consuming? How much is the TV yeah. on standby consuming? And you can take those away and go, all right, well, this is what's actually consuming my house right now. What's different sort of thing. Yeah. And one thing I uh, actually installed today was, um, we got electricity put out to garden shed and we got a, a freezer put out there. Okay. So um, freezer is one I will want to do because if anything happens to the, fr- you've, got a, you've got a huge freezer full of food. You don't want to mm. yeah, leave with, a, I don't know, leaving the door open or for it to break or get turned off accidentally. Um, yeah. So I will be adding some automations on that. And I'd be interested to know, I don't know, does anyone, I suppose you're getting into kind of like, is machine learning at a certain point to kind of notice like to, for something to learn what's the normal freezer patterns and yeah 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 but i'm, I'm well, sure i, I, I mean, could it might be it might be as easy as something like getting a temperature probe that's enclosed in like glycol or something right so uh because what that does is it basically acts as a temperature barrier or, or a thermal barrier to say like so because a lot of times when you open a freezer, for example, you get a rush of warm air that goes into the freezer mm-hmm. and, and cold air coming out, right? Uh, but that glycol, so if you have a normal temperature, whatever, whether it's a standard probe or whatever it is, uh, what ends up happening is that ends up being, uh, you'll get that spike and then back and spike and then back. Whereas with a glycol barrier, what'll happen is it'll take longer. So that spike won't be a spike. It'll be sure if if you if it even notices it'll be a bump so then that way yeah. it's more consistent right so then you just look for anomalies in your yeah any, uh, any of those processes. i think i might even be able to do it as simple as like because a freezer i think they have a rating right for a certain number of hours that it's okay yeah. for them not to have electricity so yeah i could yeah. even do in the eight last eight hour period or the last day is it way off um yeah. in either up or down and that should give me a good indication of if something really bad happened. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What you could so do, we'll, I'm wondering if um, you could just create something that obviously if you know what the current output of the freezer is, right, and then every five minutes or something, you just add that to a number helper in Home Assistant and just like keep summing that number. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at midnight, reset it back to zero and then you get like a daily, how much does the freezer consume? Yeah, well, we don't even need to do that. Uh, Home Assistant does all that for us uh, because well, the, right. yeah. the, the plug yeah. the plug exposes the energy. So I, I have that in the statistics. Um, uh, it, that's all that's all there in the database, you know. So um, yeah, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see. Obviously, with a three month old baby, uh, time for automations uh, can be <laughs> curtailed, shall we say? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I suppose the other biggest kind of project and this would be the one that i've spent the the most time on by far is the heating um and i actually noticed like my usage of home assistant in the winter it's dark and it's cold uh i use it so much more uh in mm-hmm. the summers you, you don't need your heating and you don't need the bulbs for until sure. basically you're asleep um but so so what we had was um pretty normal kind of two-story house here um but it, the previous people uh, had built a, an extension to the kitchen out the back, so a single-story extension. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't, maybe there's a reason, they didn't zone 
the heating while they were doing that. So you've now kind of got the whole house on one heating zone, but different areas of the house heat up at very different speeds. Mm-hmm. So when we first moved in, um, we would be cold in the kitchen, but absolutely roasting upstairs in the bedrooms. So it just, it just really was very uncomfortable. And then, so the radiators all have the, the TRV, the thermostatic radiator valves on them. Um, but I found that those, they're kind of in this middle zone of, in theory, they should regulate the heat of, a, of the radiators and allow you to have per room control per your house and, you know, make things e- ease up. But they basically have a fundamental flaw that they sense the temperature in the worst possible place in the room to sense the temperature, which is right beside the radiator, right? Yes. So as soon as the radiator comes on, uh, depending on the room or depending on where that valve is in the room, and we have this off. in particular in, in one of our rooms, there's kind of a, the window is a bit of a bay window and it creates this kind of hot pocket where that radiator would think it's the room is roasting, but it's not. It's just that little local area is roasting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to try and, try and get around this, I got the uh, the Mohs uh, TRV. So they're Zigbee. They just take two mm-hmm. AA batteries. Okay. Um, and I've slowly added them to everywhere in the house. And I, strangely, again, there was one bedroom hadn't a valve, so I did have to get a plumber in to, to get that added. Um, so I added them and they helped a lot, but they still, I could see in the data, they still had the same issue with the, the temperature, the local te- temperature hotspotting. Um, but what I've been able to do to counteract that basically is since I have the Zigbee temperature sensors, the little sonophones in every room mm-hmm. in, and I've chosen good locations away from the sun, away from the radiator that actually give you an accurate measurement of the room. Um, I was able to go into, and I, I, I didn't figure out a way to do this fully in the UI. It's probably a way I could do this. I tried a few blueprints. I couldn't find one that did exactly what I wanted, but it could be just someone pointing me in the right direction. But my solution anyway was that in my configuration YAML, I have uh, a sensor in there and I basically take the um, the room temperature uh, away from the temperature reported from the TRV. And that gives me my offset number. And then in the, I have an automation basically so that any time that that offset changes, it updates the state of the, so there is an offset um, attribute for the TRV. So basically it upset, updates that to say minus three, right? So you think it's 25, but actually it's 22 degrees in the room or something like that. Um, so since since i've done that it's it's like been super reliable it's very even across the house and rooms actually get to the temperatures they're supposed to um the the little extension i haven't fully done off that but i will a little more is i have some buttons where um which trigger an automation which is like a downstairs only or an upstairs only or a kitchen only which actually for an hour will drop the target temperature in those locations in all locations but the one you want to actually heat so i'm trying to give myself a lot more zoned approach without actually ripping up all the floorboards and getting it properly done so um but i've actually found that since i I have the offset and the trv set up I, i don't really need to interact with the heating as much, which is always the goal you want. You want to just set and forget and actually be comfortable. So let, yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's the same thing, right? Like what isn't magic it, for you. Exactly. Like it, 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 it works. Yeah. It has been so, so, so good this winter in comparison. Um, so whereas in the past, for you then, it, yeah, it's all over the place. Are you managing the statistics? Like, so obviously home business is getting all this data in. Are you then using home business and the database that home business has to then, what's the random temperature of this room over time? What's the average and all that? Or are you then exploiting all that data from home business into something like a Profana database or Influx somewhere else? No, I've never, I've never exported and I've never had the need or really the want once I got yep. this real-time set up, I, I never actually need to programmatically okay. go back into the history. Um, if everything is working in real-time as it mm-hmm. is now and the offset, uh, the automation and the sensor and the configuration yep. YAML update themselves in real-time, they keep themselves perfectly up-to-date. Um, 
I know theoretically you could get into, uh, you know, is it, is it going to be sunny outside today and therefore don't turn the heating on as much? Um, little things like that in the morning. Um, unfortunately, my my heating, while it does have a remote access, it's uh, EPH, it's a smallish company, so there's no, they don't have an official um, anything actually for my one apart from their own app. Um, there was a home assistant integration, but it, it broke. Um, there right. is some pull, pull requests. Some people are trying to get it to, be fixed and it would be nice obviously to be able to do that because again i could then from home assistant the really interesting thing for me for that would be to see actually um it actually shows you when the when the heating is firing when it's actually on and in use um which would be just very interesting to to see what the pattern is there like what what's when are you having it on too much when are you right you just being kind of inefficient in some some way um We'll see. Have to be optimized, basically. Yeah, yeah, just for for comfort and I suppose trying to because it is gas, trying to use as little as possible. Um, sure. Ideally, I'd like solar and heat pumps and all those things, but uh, our, our yeah, roof yeah. is a bit higgledy piggledy, so I don't think we'll we'll ever, unfortunately, really be able to to actually do that. Um, you have to you have to have the right uh, orientation and the size of your roof and <laughs> a big checkbook uh, initially as well. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I'm trying to think. I've covered a lot of kind of the the main items that I have. Uh, I've other things. I had even uh, computers turning on or off at the in office hours. Basically, the, the computer would just turn itself off uh, after a certain period, so it's not left on overnight. Little things like that. Yeah. Um, so I guess that then they they sort of get into the fun stuff. So what would be one of your favorite automations that you? just it maybe it's not functional it's just something that you know you're really proud of that you've got set up mm-hmm. i think i think that the washing machine dishwasher thing because of the the limited amount of uh, reducing the amount of hardware needed to actually do that mm-hmm. i think that's really nice right um and that's kind of the my favorite uses of home assistance where you do something without having to actually have more yeah. stuff right yeah uh so kind of the nfc tags are great for that as well i have them around a few places where you know, you could be tempted to buy another button or a Zigbee button, but like really you don't use that much and your phone is with you most of the time. So yeah, just, just have an NFC tag do that basically. What what else do you do with your NFC tags? Just out of curiosity. Um, not a huge amount apart from just in a few places. I toggle at my desk here. I toggle a few, the, the light in the room and things um, because if I'm, I'm on a call and I'm stuck, I can't. I can't move uh, so you're sure sure and you don't want to yeah. be your eyes uh if you're on a, a zoom call or whatever you don't want it to be distracting um you so you, yeah. you just swipe your phone right um and i have one at the uh, for the alarm at the door i find myself don't use that too much but technically i can just swipe to turn on the alarm um yeah i have a, bu- I have a button there so i'm sure as life changes um when you buy nfc tags you get a bag of 50 usually so um <laughs> I'm sure I'll end up with with little further things um, on top of those. Um, nice. I suppose I'm trying to think other things I haven't mentioned. I have some Wi-Fi USB switches. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Um, yeah, so these are, I saw them. There's a guy on, uh, it's funny, uh, on, he's Andreas Spice. He's a, a Swiss guy, I think, on, on YouTube. So, Oh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He showed flashing Tasmota onto them. There's Cine, CineLink. Um, AliExpress, uh, random cool. things. Okay. Um, so I do have a few of those. I only have one in use currently, but that's um, for kind of just a low level light. Um, we we reused kind of effectively what are Christmas lights, um, cheap string of of IKEA Christmas lights, and I had them I, again. I had them on a a mains power switch, um, but I can say to myself, you know, plugs are a bit of a premium. Um, but yeah. I had uh, I have the smart clock, the Lenovo one beside my bed, which has 
USB plug on it, which is terrible for charging your phone because it's just way too slow. But now I've been able to plug that in there so I can uh, just shout at Google and whatever Home Assistant. I have a button as well, technically, to turn that on or off by yeah. the USB power effectively. I'm sure I'll find other uses for that because uh, I have two more of them. But some of the issues you find yourself uh, is now at the minute that analog thing you to have full control you actually have to search for the more analog thing um because once, they, <laughs> once something is yeah. anyway digital uh very few things when you power on they you'll have to press a button then to actually get them to do something yeah um i had the um this same problem i wanted um some electric blankets on the bed like to be able to control them through home this is make sure we don't leave them on <laughs> right um and i bought these electric blankets they were Cheaper, but yep, that's fine. I'll click on a timer, but I'm not going to use that. I'm just going to turn them on. And sure enough, they're digital. And as soon as you power cycle them, they turn the power comes back on and they don't remember their state. So they just go off. So there's no way I can automate them in Home Assistant. So yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating, yeah. right? Um, so I suppose the other, and this will be another big, this will be the last uh, big project that I've done and which I will. And, and actually, once we come into Home Assistant, voice, I think is going to be great um so we had in that kitchen which was kind of the cold the cold extension basically there was a a vent on the wall which obviously is useful at certain times of year when the humidity is high but a lot of the time it was just there and you could i you could even see i've bought a thermal camera you could just see how cold it was like a waterfall of cold coming in through it and technically it would seal you could close over this little flimsy plastic thing but like it did absolutely nothing um so then i found this um it's like a single room mechanical heat recovery um and effectively what it is is uh it's just a slightly larger diameter pipe which has kind of a ceramic core in it and it has a fan and the fan pulls air in for 70 seconds and then blows air out for 70 seconds and the the theory at least is that uh it recaptures when it's drawing the air back in some of the heat that you expelled will have gone into the ceramic, right? So you're not just wasting your heat. Um, I don't know how actually effective that is, but to be honest, for me, Mm -hmm. the more important thing is that it actually has a servo. So it seals itself really well on the inside of the room when it's, when you don't want the vent in use. Um, And when I bought it, I didn't pay too much attention. I saw it had Wi-Fi connectivity, um, but unfortunately the Wi-Fi connectivity is actually only for it connecting up to, more of them if you had one in another room you could have them that they would synchronize yeah yeah. so that one would be drawing in while the other one would be drawing out so your house kind of wouldn't be so the pressure right it would they would actually help each other so that was a bit unfortunate but it is it does its main power um management is an infrared remote um so what i got for that was uh on his website that there's a lot of good reviews smart home scene they get through a lot of stuff um is a little Mose again, I think, uh, IR Blaster. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've that set up and actually I've been able to recreate uh, with buttons in the Home Assistant UI and a dashboard, uh, even and even with all the um, the icons. Uh, being able to, it's like almost perfectly looks the same as the actual physical remote, down to the symbols on it. Right. You know, the, for the night, it has a night low power night mode and that's a moon and like. Um, the, the icon pack in Home Assistant has that, you know, it almost says in yeah, it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, that's been super great because it just means that uh, when I do actually want to interface with that, I don't physically have to go and find the remote. I just pull out my phone um, and actually turn it on or off. Nice. Um, one issue I've always, and I, there's no real good solution for this, is around obviously in anything in red or with the switch bot, you have the same problem. You don't really know its state. Um, which, which, yeah, which is unfortunate, yeah. and, and that's not going to go away. But um, for all these things, and, and even for something basic um, like temperatures in rooms, oh, um, so Google, I've Google um, smart devices around the house, yeah. um, and when you bring your when Home Assistant exposes its all its entities into Google, um, you really show it. It really shows up how limited the feature set of the Google Assistant is. So like. Home Assistant is forced to expose temperatures as uh, thermostats um, because 
Google just doesn't seem to have the concept of a, a temperature sensor on its own. Yeah. Um, so that's, a, okay, I could be wrong on all this, of course, but um, so that's where the Home Assistant voice stuff, I think, like, is just going to be so good in that. There's just basic things, and for a lot of people, what a true, the real usefulness of, of a, a smart assistant or these voice things, it, it's probably like three or four key things that you want. Yeah. Um, and Google, like their objective is not really that to help you with that, right? They, they've kind of loftier goals and they just don't want to give you that flexibility. So sure. Same with Amazon. Too. Yeah, no different. Yeah. I noticed recently, like I would tell the little lady, um, you know, turn off the lights and then I'll get, uh, an ad would pop up on my Echo Show saying, oh, you just said, you know, turn off the lights. Are you interested in these smart bulbs? I'm like, well, really? No, I've clearly already got the smart bulbs. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't noticed um, that in mine, but that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Clearly they've got to start paying for these uh, smart speakers somehow, right? Yeah. And she, and, and the Google, I feel like the Google one has actually regressed and got worse. And it has a thing it likes to do. Uh, it just mishears mm. you. Um, not even talking about lights, actually. And it, likes to often turn on all lights nice. <laughs> um which is oh God. really yeah. annoying um particularly if there's a, like mostly it's okay it's myself and my wife yeah. are in one room uh so at least it's not too bad for us to correct it i can just say turn them all off right yeah but um as as does if you have visitors or other people now you can you like you then you have to kind of go around and find out yeah like, just a mess so i'm, I'm really looking forward to to the home assistant voice things um, improving and the, the pace already, like mm. it's amazing how they're able to get it out. And the fact then that that's kind of more, you know, it ties properly into home assistant. So little things, I want to ask it what, what temperature a room is, you know, um, basic stuff like that. Or for my weird edge case of the, that, that fan, the heat exchanger in the kitchen, I want to be able to ask certain three or four things, turn it on yep. or toggle it. Uh, while I'm cooking, I kind of use it as a supplementary uh, ex- exhaust fan a bit as well. So little things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's actually just going to be so much like, yeah, the Google Assistant is not really, it's smart home features are not. They're, they're super basic and I think Home Assistant is going to eclipse that like so quickly, basically. Yeah, I, I would I would love like with, with voice. And again, this is a bit of a pipe dream just because it's not on the home assistant team for this. Right. But I would love for the ability to proxy my voice commands from an Amazon echo or, or Google hub device, whatever it is into the home assistant voice. And and again, like I said, this isn't on the home assistant team, right? Because it's, it's manufacturers that need to allow you to do that. But that would be because I mean, the devices are pretty good, right? I mean, my echo behind me here is extremely good. I'm, I mean, it even <laughs> picks up stuff when I'm not talking to it. So it's, 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 uh, is, that a, is that a vulgar feature? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's well, it's, it's funny. We'd be, we'd be sitting in like the other side of the house and, and I'd hear the one, and again, nobody here, right? Nobody outside, anything like that. So it's not even like somebody talking really loud and the voice coming uh-huh. in or anything like that. But it's just like, you just hear like, the echo in my mm. office here behind me going off and being like, sorry, I didn't hear that. And I was like, that's because nobody said anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah do, I do have a problem with the wrong one answering at the minute. We, and yeah, this one, the second one that answers, actually, I ended up putting it behind my TV because it's one thing <laughs> I failed with home assistant. Uh, I wanted to, so I got a Sony, an Android TV um, with a microphone and Google assistant built in. Yeah. Um, but what I found was that, say, you're watching a movie, oftentimes you have to, you have to put the movies, uh, the sound mixing seems to be much lower than TV shows and things. So you'll often have to put the TV volume up to like 50. Um, but then if yeah. you ask Google to do anything, she's absolutely like roaring the house down. Um, <laughs> so I'd attempted an automation to when when the TV kind of moved to a, a pause state or if the TV stopped and effectively was not playing anything, it would try and I wanted to reset the volume back to 10 or 8, I think was kind of comfortable for Home Assistant. Um, yeah. Which, unfortunately, I failed failed in my first attempt. And then uh, I did the, the lazy solution <laughs> was uh, I just uh, turned off the microphone and put a, another Google Nest Home thingy uh in behind the tv instead (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but I, I think I think in that case, it's and I've seen it since, and I know Home Systems in the newest release, uh, there was a an Android remote um, yeah. improvement yeah. came out. I, th- I think that really was down to the fact that the TV, its responsiveness and it, its reporting back to Home Assistant was really not consistent at all. Um, so it's kind of it's frustrating when you have these cases where you think the all singing and dancing thing is actually good, but I, sometimes it's actually worse. I had the same thing with a an extractor fan. I got a one which had Bluetooth, and officially it had a, a light sensor and a humidity sensor and all these things, and they just what its logic to turn on or off it was just completely possessed couldn't be relied upon it and in the end yeah. i just turned it back to if if it sees power to the light in the room <laughs> turn on the fan you're right so i actually would have been much better off getting a, a cheaper dumber extractor fan and if i wanted to add on the intelligence i should have just gone to to home assistant directly because when you have these black boxes yeah, you don't you don't know what they do. You don't know their logic. You don't know any of that crap, right? It's, uh, and that's yeah. the thing with Home Assistant. It's not just that you can you can do things, but it's it's the data that that's collected shows you like you learn so much about how things work and how mm-hmm. things react, and it actually sh- it kind of shows you basically what what you should be doing, or and you can tune things, and you've so much more mm-hmm. feedback there because if if some product or some black box just doesn't expose something or doesn't let you configure anything yet it's just unusable in some cases right yeah so i mean we we talked a little bit about you know google home and like like all these voice assistants and stuff is that primarily how you augment or drive your automations what do you like sounds like most of it is kind of automated right like like natively using automations I, i don't really i suppose the intention for a lot of this is is i don't want to have to interact with anything it should just work in the background um so my all my key things are triggered off bits of data coming in and they just take care of themselves and that's that's the way i really want it as much as possible um where i would like voice to be better but this is i think where home assistant was all the problem not google is things like asking uh information of some strange sensors or triggering more specific automations that i can say exactly what they want to do i definitely will use that when um i have the ability to do it uh other than that home assistant it's mostly into the dashboards right and it's some of the dashboards you kind of i use them while i'm figuring out how these things react and then i might actually use them less and less because it's right i I, it's how i figure out so i have like for the heating i have all these graphs um but w- once the heating works and you're comfortable, you don't need to look at that. Uh, so that's kind of where I've, yeah, uh, I've gone. And certain certain ones you do pull out, like the the water temperature, the tank temperature. That's a super useful one to just quickly pull up. Is there is there hot water right now? And it has the buttons there to turn to turn on. You know, bes- having those two things beside each other is super super powerful. Or you have sure. the schedule <laughs> the scheduler card. So I have my hot water. Nice. dashboard i have one for temperature humidity heating um weather actually there's some really nice weather uh cards that just two seconds work to to pull in around uh, sunset and sunrise all these things um yeah yeah alarms power battery and there's good integrations for home assistant to warn you around um if any of your batteries and any of your smart uh Sensors are going low that you just get you get a notification, uh, which is really good. Uh, it's warned me about one. And it's nagging me about another one. I'm just too lazy to change it, and I am worried about are the day. I think some of them could be in the official one. Uh, so long since I've plugged some of these in, I've I've almost <laughs> forgotten. Uh, so I've seen like um, I've actually been tempted to make my own like battery uh, alert system because I've yeah you know, like I'll forget. And I'll go, oh, why is it light changing? Oh, I've got to charge that motion sensor. Um, I'll, I'll, whatever. I'll right. try and dig it up. I might have to send it to you afterwards, but that, that definitely yeah. exists. Um, the one thing I'm dreading is the day when the temperature sensor in the kitchen warns me its battery is low mm-hmm. because I have no idea how it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> completely, completely forgotten. Um, you know, I've, I've put it somewhere and the skylight's in that room, so dodging the sun for your temperature sensor is kind of like, it took a while to find out a spot that didn't, at one point of the day, tell me that my yeah. kitchen was 35 degrees Celsius. 
but I've yep. no, I've just no idea where it is now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I just do a quick like a iOS notification, right, saying, "Hey, the this motion sensor battery is at ten percent or something like that." Um, but yeah, yeah, it's fairly. It's not bad. It's not hard. Yeah. Um, so I think. I think those are my main. Obviously, I've got Power Calc is a good a good one, which is a uh, oh, I love that yeah. integration. So it does, and that's a that's a great like. So that what that one does is it it basically programmatically figures out everyone's Philips Hue model, whatever bulb is the same, and if it's at this percentage brightness, it's going to be using this much electricity. Um, and I'm a big fan of that again to use software that you know we don't need to go out and buy bulbs that sense power because it's 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 deterministic, right? Like you can just yeah. You don't need hardware to tell that it's a it's a known thing. Um, um, integration by itself is expanding its library. Like now it knows Sonos speakers, um, other brands. Yeah. Like it's yeah, it's fantastic. Anytime you go in, basically, and and update it, it'll have it'll find more more devices and yeah. I suppose a lot of them are using pretty small amounts of electricity, but the fact that it's 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 free, it's automatic. Um, yep. And you can you can just get a better idea. I'm sure there are cases where it is pulling in things which are using more electricity than they need to be or in states that mm-hmm. are actually, you know, properly wasteful. And and yeah, I, I it's <laughs> the other one I find amazing is the, the Bluetooth integration, uh and the what are they called? The repeaters? Uh what's the mm-hmm. the the proxies? Yeah, yeah, like the the proxies, yeah. Yeah, proxies, yeah. there you go, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because that was something I basically was, I was effectively determined to never put Bluetooth into my home system. I kind of said, like, <laughs> yeah. it's, Same. the range is too short, it's just not set up for that. But then, when, it, I literally, I just had to, I just plugged in the, the, and I only, still only technically have a USB adapter, but the knowledge that if I ever do need more, and it's just a few seconds of work, is it's, it's so good to, yeah, to figure that it's out. Gr- well, it's great too because, like, for again, as as an example, for me, I don't uh, my my uh, oh, what am I trying to say? Sorry, yeah, my home assistant instance is running in a Docker container in a VM on my server, right? Which has pretty much two USB ports, right? It's like a proper server server, and it's like so to do things like that. I've already got a Zigbee stick and a Z Wave stick. Right, so now I don't really. I mean, I'm. I mean, I can use uh, USB hubs and stuff like that, but I don't need to. And to get also, where, stuff in. where your compute power is not necessarily the the, the most um, ideal location for your your signal to come from, right? Hundred percent, um, right? Mine's in my basement, in like a part of the house that is just we never go into, right? Or and it's kind of far away from everything else, right? So my shades up here it won't reach right like those kind of things so there's and i suppose that's another kind of um thing that we'll i'm looking forward to and hopeful that home assistant and uh is it thread and matter Mm. the support for those coming out um i'll definitely be keeping an eye on because currently i have ended up in a slightly kind of awkward situation where all my bulbs are still connected to the philips pew hub but then all the smart switches to control that are all uh on a different zigme mesh right with a just a usb coordinator yep. i have mm-hmm. so um i'm hopeful that i know hugh phillips have said they are going to support it um i'm hopeful then that kind of home assistant and open source projects will be able to kind of bridge the way you know similarly to zigbee to mqtc that we can have some sort of bridge projects that sure my buttons on and, and even if officially none of these are ever going to support thread uh that if we have a bridge from mqtt to that we could actually again without replacing all the hardware actually get the benefits of that new technology for free effectively um so i'll definitely be keeping an eye on that because at the minute some of my smart buttons uh and i'm very thankful to for blueprints in home assistant have been great for that um because i had things like some buttons you have to you press and hold is an action and then it's the duration the little ikea ones it's the duration is how long that controls the dimness um going up or down of the of the light but 
trying to kind of DIY that yourself uh, yeah. is really awkward because you're, you're introduced, you're, it's about delays and timing then and trying to, so, um, and, blue- and effort. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's a kind of a level up. So the blueprints have been fantastic for that. And, um, yeah. there's, there's one I've got and it, it just, it works so well. Um, it's got so many different models. Again, just the community is out there. It's got so many different models. You just click the drop down, which, which button do you have from which manufacturer, which type of light? And then there's all the different options for a, if it has a long hold or a double tap. Sure. Um, it even has simulated double taps, um, which is the one thing is not super reliable, but you kind of can't blame the guys for that not being too reliable because it, it is, they have to, they have made it up effectively that the button isn't officially supporting a double tap, but this blueprint is waiting and watching if you, yeah. but yeah. Uh, it is a bit too tight to get the timing just right on that one, unfortunately. Um, but I think if if we can get that bridge across to with with thread and matter and, and sync those things up, hopefully that uh, your legacy Zigbee stuff we don't actually just end up kind of wanting to throw it away. Sure, um, I'm, I'm sure people will come up with some way that we can kind of add a, that proxy process middle layer that will will allow you integrate it and, and reuse those. Yeah, I've got a whole bunch of Xiaomi yeah. stuff on Zigbee, right? That is still sitting in the cupboard. Just you know, <laughs> buttons that I thought, oh, I'll I'll use this somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Or something like that. So I don't want to put those to go to waste. Yeah, for sure. It's something I've been trying to get in the habit of doing is uh buy what you actually need because it is <laughs> it is very tempting to end up with three, four, five, six things and okay, yeah. you're like, okay, the shipping yeah. is this amount, I might as well just get a few more, but um <laughs> <laughs> it's it's tempting but I'm, I'm trying to cut down on that uh so so that things are actually used because things do go out of date as well with technology you and yeah home assistant yeah. is a great hedge against that because it it gives us so much more more power so that you know someone shutting down a, a cloud server or someone deciding that they're not going to support an api or not going to update their android app to the latest version and, you know i get um warnings on various different apps that these they're no longer going to work. So having all these things out there through Home Assistant and through the integrations uh, is, is, yeah. is so good for just not so wasteful, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing worse than e-bricks, right? Like when they just create e-waste and you've got a heavy paperweight from an old product that's no longer supported. Yeah. The, the last yeah. thing I might mention, all right, is the, uh, I did have a recent incident with Home Assistant. Um, I had a power cut. Um which corrupted uh so i have a proxmox server where home assistant is a virtual machine um so i had several days of downtime there because i just didn't get around to going back in and trying to debug um but i will say for for home assistant's point of view the the google drive backup and restore just worked absolutely perfectly um i was kind of worried for some reason that it wouldn't bring back the historical statistics but it brought back absolutely everything um so really impressed by that. And I think where I want to go from here is to try and treat Home Assistant more like an appliance and really try and not have it, even though I am, you know, I have done it in the complicated person who knows things about IT way. Yeah. But really, I think where uh, it's really cool to see and even things like the yellow and the, the dedicated hardware, just the different um more embedded type devices that home assistant supports is that you know you can get home assistant to this like little little box that is going to be resilient to power cuts and if sure. a problem happens you press two buttons and it restores itself or if if you have a hardware failure well, you just throw it away and in 15 minutes you're you're back up and running yeah um, because i don't i'm i don't want to really get into having uninterruptible power supplies or you know having full computers running these things is not we i don't know for me i you, i kind of like it but then when it's as integral to your house as it, it does become um yeah sometimes it's it's better to it's like i did with the uh, the alarm buying the dedicated hardware it's better to actually just say that this is my little home assistant box um, <laughs> so that's something I'll, I'll 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 try and do basically to to split that out from the larger machine so, so yeah, that's a good point. Would you would you rather kind of one simple powerful box or a bunch of little ones that kind of spread out across whatever? 
I think for Home Assistant, uh, with the fact that it is designed to run on a small thing and and its importance now, I mean, my lights, you know, don't work. Uh, if Home Assistant is down, I really want that to be a dedicated appliance. Yeah, I really want that to be a dedicated appliance. And yeah, a big computer server, I'm going to keep that only for things like storage and media and things that actually need horsepower and grunt and space and but otherwise uh home assistant is like the perfect example of something which yeah have it for me at least it makes perfect sense to to treat it more like and it, you know the the as a project i've not been around i don't know kind of its origins in terms of original dates but even in the period 2020 to now that i've been using it so it's so much more polished and so much more is oh, just yeah. cake and drag and drop mm. and all these things. So it it means that, and that's what I want for this is the, your your anything to do with your smart home. You you can't have it that when it breaks, you're in at the command line. You really don't want that. Yeah, um, it's not fair to your family as well if you're away. You like you know other things. If I have file sync or whatever, and that goes down, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. photos or music around the house, like who cares, right? If yeah. that computer goes down, yeah. um, but the home assistant one, and hopefully as well, possibly, uh, if I could get it onto something that was twelve volt, is something I'm thinking about too. If uh, like you could have a battery backup, obviously having mains power battery backup devices, they're quite bulky and expensive and noisy yeah. and all these things. But yeah. if you have your your Wi-Fi router, your modem coming in from your fiber, um, your home assistant, if all of those are on twelve volt. Uh, should be possible to have a kind of effectively a beefy battery pack, nothing too crazy that would give you a few hours of runtime at least. Yep. Keep your internet up and running, keep your smart home up and running. All the sensors are on battery and Zigbee anyway for a lot of things. Yeah. Um, that would be super, super powerful. So we'll see. I don't think that perfect product exists out there yet. Um, but I think in, in time, possibly it will. Uh, again, lithium, making DIY lithium-ion batteries is not something I'm going to go down down the <laughs> route of uh, of trying to cobble together. But um, yeah, I think yeah, no, it's it's just it's so good how uh, yeah, appliance. I think is the and you know, would you would you would I install Home Assistant for some family member? And it, like it definitely is at that stage where someone you you could actually trust it and you could be pretty confident to give it to someone and that it will, it'll just work. Nothing bad will happen. And if something crazy happens, you'll be able to probably remotely just tell them, look, I've, I've even got a spare, a spare raspberry Pi with a spare SD card in the cupboard beside and three or four clicks and it restores your backup and you continue on, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah the last thing you want to do is have to instruct someone. Okay. <laughs> Um, you turn this computer on, then you have to run this command. You should be able to just power cycle the yeah. thing, and home assistant comes and back. It up. just works. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yeah, like home assistant itself. I like. I think um, if I had been able to recover the virtual machine, I probably home assistant probably would have come back. Um, and it it gracefully can handle power cuts. Uh, my issue, and unfortunately, was that I just had a there was a corruption on the actual disk. Which oh, is something yeah, that yeah, yeah. Home Assistant can't uh, can't control about, and it was outside of Home Assistant. I'm not sure how Home Assistant. Obviously, there's levels where Home Assistant it's it's going to be impossible for it to recover. But because Home Assistant has that such easy backup, and I think there's one for OneDrive as well for people who have that for Microsoft. That feature is there that takes snapshots every time you do an update and daily snapshots and things like you're, and that's the things with with backups for any IT or computer software thing is that in theory they're easy to set up mm-hmm. but will, will you actually spend the half day doing it uh, or a few hours or even a half an hour whereas the home assistant thing is like 30 seconds so yeah definitely sure. my biggest recommendation to everyone is and because it uses your Google Drive and it's a couple of hundred megabytes so even if you're only at the free um, storage basically no one has yeah. an excuse to, to not have that backup set up and it it will serve them well. Yeah. But you've just prompted me to go and make sure I've got that set up. So I'll check that again. That's funny. It's been so long since I, I think I like it's just one of those things we just set and forget it, right? I'm pretty sure I've configured it. Um 
but yeah, now I need to, now I don't trust myself. There you go. And, and that's important too. test your backups, right? It's, yes. Uh, you don't know that it works for sure until you see it work. So, yeah, uh, there is, um, uh, what is, there's a website I also have, which, uh, sends me emails if things fail uh, healthchecks.io uh, yeah. is one of them that's that's the one yeah um so yeah. that's great and that's something i actually want to set up for home assistant myself and i know there is an integration mm-hmm. um so that if home assistant is even down for an hour right i'd, I'd want to know that um, yeah yeah so i i'm going to try and set that up soon as well which is something i should do um because the longer it's down it's not capturing um, metrics and and things like the energy and whatnot are yep. are, are not getting captured. And what what will happen is if it's down for a few days, the the counter on the the home whole home whole home energy monitor is still ticking up. So then yeah. it kind of it says that he, uh, he used an obscene amount in one day. Um, so I do like to try and keep it up um, because sure. other other mm-hmm. little things I've done around the house completely separate from home assistant um has, being able to see my electricity and heating usage has actually been really good in terms of have has that been effective has that been a good use of your time to change window seals and change hinges and windows and various bits and pieces like that so actually that data mm-hmm. that data is is extremely valuable even for things i can't think of now if the house ever has any improvements or anything done to it, you, you'll be able to go back and see what what, sure. what was the success of something. And if you do a, an experiment, you know, is it worth, because sometimes people can spend thousands on home upgrades or things, but you actually, most of the time people are going in blind or just believing what some advisor will, will tell them. But with the home assistance statistics, you, you might have a, a chance at least of having a much more solid understanding of what will happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't think I have any other uh, major items. I mean, there's a huge surface area of Home Assistant that I haven't even really touched yet. You know, see, see, yep. <laughs> scenes. Um, I haven't really got into those, but like, it's just it's a slow feature creep and a slow improvement that Home Assistant has. Yeah, uh, buttons yeah, yeah. or something I hadn't really used for a long time, but now I started using those a lot. Just the fact that you know you don't have that second press. Uh, <laughs> To do something right, oftentimes you're you're just going into the light switch, the light sure. toggle it. You're not doing any of the fancy color changes. For me, every every light is always just on warm white. That's it. You know, I'm never changing those things. Um, yeah. So it's yeah, it's just a slow, slow improvement. And I think that's the way it will will continue to be. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time talking to us um, about your epic little setup. Um, we'll leave links to all those little things that you mentioned today in our show notes and. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers. Cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.